Well, it's last week in Jeremiah, so some of you can breathe and just go, I mean, it's been, it's been intense. It is an intense book. I hope that if you have been here over the course of the past six, seven weeks, that you've enjoyed Jeremiah and gotten to know Jeremiah a little better and understand the book. Because the truth is, the point is really not to understand Jeremiah or the book. The truth is that it's there to help you understand God. And so I hope that you've come to understand God a little bit better by listening about Jeremiah. Now, I want to give you a quick recap if you've been here or if you haven't been here um, to tell you who Jeremiah was. Jeremiah was a man called by God um, in the 6th or 7th century B.C. to prophesy to the people of Judah. That was the southern kingdom of Israel about the impending judgment uh, that they'd face if they didn't turn from their ways and follow God. He's especially known for his message of repentance, if you have not gotten this over the past few weeks. And he preaches the same, pretty much the same thing. He gets this vision at a really young age, I think around 17, 18, 19 years old, and he preaches the same message for 40 years, like 52 chapters of the Bible. And he loves the people deeply, um, yet he's kept awake at night by their persistence and not wanting to do what God's calling them to do. So God specifically gives him a vision, if you remember, that the temple will be destroyed and also they'll be taken into Babylonian captivity. He is a depressed man. He's known as the weeping prophet. There's a reason why he's been told by God not to marry, not to pray for the people anymore due to their stubbornness, which he keeps on praying, and to continually preach the same message over and over. Hopefully you all have gotten that about Jeremiah by listening. Now, today we're going to finish up by looking at the text um, and this, the day's text is really, it, it's really kind of cool because it, it kind of merges the heart of God and the heart of Jeremiah together. In fact, when we read this, it's going to be hard to really tell, is it Jeremiah that's speaking or is it God that's speaking? Once again, the purpose is not to point to Jeremiah. The purpose is to point to God, but you'll see that it's kind of confusing about who's speaking for what. And here's what I want to emphasize in today's text is that the reason you can't tell is it God or is it Jeremiah is because God's heart has merged with Jeremiah's. In other words, Jeremiah has become more and more like God. He has a heart for God. And the challenge I want to put before you today as we talk is do you have a heart for God? Because the more you have a heart for God, the more the things that break God's heart will break your heart. And the more the sin of people will break your heart, the more the breaking down of the church will break your heart. Now, when I say heart, of course, I'm not referencing the physical heart. I'm referencing your spiritual heart. Do you know the Bible mentions the heart over a thousand times? Um, in fact, I was thinking it was like it'd be great to do a sermon just on the word heart in the Bible. But I want you to think about, um, uh, do you have a heart for God? Y'all remember David and what they said about David? David was a man after what? Bathsheba. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. Uh, he was a man after God's own heart. He wasn't perfect, but he had a heart for God. And when we have a heart for God, it really breaks our heart when we see the church in pain, an, another brother or sister in pain. Um, and, and, and so that's what we're going to look at today. So Let's read the scripture together. If you don't mind standing, if you're able, we're going to read Jeremiah 8, 18 through 9, 1. Jeremiah 8, 18 through 9, 1. You who are my comfort and sorrow, my heart is faint within me. Listen to the cry of my people from a land far away. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king no longer there? 
Why have they aroused my anger with their images, with their worthless foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer has ended, and we are not saved. Since my people are crushed, I am crushed. I mourn, and horror grips me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is there no healing for the wound of my people? Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears. I would weep day and night for the slain of my people. This is the word of God for the people of God. Father, bless the teaching and preaching of the word today. We ask this in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. All right, so let's jump into this. We're going to go back to verse 18, chapter 8, verse 18. The first thing he says is a comment about the heart. I mentioned the heart. He says, you who are my comforter in sorrow, my heart is faint within me. Now, this is God, and this is Jeremiah speaking. They say that their heart is sick. Have you ever had a sick heart? Have you ever had a heartbreak? Like a middle school breakup? You ever been? I think middle school breakups, they probably, if you're in middle school, listen, I know it hurts. I think middle school breakups might hurt more than divorces. Like, I, I remember the pain of a middle school breakup. I mean, it was like, gosh, we dated three weeks. We committed ourselves to each other, and, and it was all over. And it was because you had this vulnerability, like you had never really opened your heart to anybody like that before. And so when you opened it up, and then they just crushed it, um, it was just so painful. Uh, and the older you get, the more you learn to guard your heart because you know that you'll get hurt. But just remember that pain, that really raw pain. Or like if you've lost somebody you love and, and you just feel this deep pain that just, it's just a, a sick, sorrowful heart. That's the description um, that Jeremiah uses. He's like, my heart is broken. You actually see throughout Scripture that he uses the description of somebody who's um, been cheated on. Like, I don't know if there's a, a worse pain in, in the world um, than, than to be cheated on. Over and over again, we see uh, the word actually adultery as God talking about the people have committed adultery on him, that they've, that they've cheated on him, that they've turned their back on him. I, I, don't, had, I don't think I was cheated on any time I was dating anybody, but I, I, except for second grade. It was second, I did get cheated on second grade. That was horrible. I won't go into the details of that, but, but I, did, I do remember for John Paul. I hope he's watching, but... Um, <laughs> Um, it, was, it was so horrible, but still wounded. Jeremiah describes Israel as having cheated on God. That's the level of pain, this deep, deep pain that involves a lack of trust, a breach of fidelity, just overall moral deception. And we know from Scripture that um, if we love anything more than God, then that's really considered not, not adultery, but idolatry. Like if something in our life becomes more important than God, and what Jeremiah is saying is, is like, gosh, like there's idols. Like you guys have idols, and they become more important to you than, than God. And you know our God is a jealous God. Y'all know our God is a jealous God? I mean, like the Bible, like when we cheat on God for other things that we put more important. So an idol is anything that's more important than him. When we put something in our life in front of God, he's not only disappointed, he's not only angry, but he's jealous. Um. Exodus 25 through 6, it says, it says, you shall not bow down to them or worship them, talking about idols, for I, the Lord your God, listen, am a what? Am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents, the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. 
It might seem kind of weird that God's a jealous God, but I don't know about you, but I want a God who's jealous when I go after things other than him. It's kind of like I would not want a spouse. I wouldn't want to be married to someone who wasn't jealous if I was having an affair. You know, like, that, like that's God going, man, I love you and I'm angry because you're going after something else. You're committing adultery. We see the people throughout history continually doing this, not thinking God's enough and wanting to pursue something else. They're like, well, I don't know if he's good enough. I don't know if he's fulfilling enough, so let's all take our earrings and necklaces off and let's put them in a fire and let's form a calf and we'll worship a calf. I don't know why you would choose to worship a cow out of all things. Um, I do like cows, but I'm saying, like, just to make that in place of God, that's pretty ridiculous. Think how ridiculous that is, that they're actually making graven images and worshiping them, the very God that made the things that they're making the images out of, and they're bowing down and worshiping that. It, it's, it's quite ridiculous. Jeremiah 18, 19, or 8, 19 says this, says, Listen to the cry of my people from a land far away. Is the Lord not in Zion? Zion was Jerusalem, by the way. Is her king no longer there? Why have they aroused my anger with their images, their worthless foreign idols? He's like, why are my people no longer in Jerusalem? Why are they not in Zion? What are they doing in Babylon? See, some of the people had already been in exile, and he's going, why are they there? It's because they've abandoned me, and they're seeking after false images and false gods. And he's like, I don't get it. They've abandoned me. I mean, the Bible warns us over and over again to be careful of idols, that things that get more important in our life than God. And Jeremiah's going, wait, people, wait. Like, don't worship those things. Worship the living God. Worship Yahweh. Worship Worship the one that has the power to deliver you from death. Worship the God who was resurrected now that we're on this side of Jesus. Worship the God who can bring people back from the grave. That's who we need to worship. But we worship all these other things. I love this from Jeremiah 10, 6 through 16. I might get this tattooed over my entire back. I've just been wanting a tattoo. I don't know why. I'm not going to get one. But I, I kind of like I want a motorcycle. I just close my eyes and just pretend like I have both and... And I have neither. But I love this. Listen to this. Jeremiah 10, 6 through 16. L listen to Jeremiah's passion. He says, No one is like you, Lord. You are great. Your name is mighty in power. Can I get an amen to that? Who should not fear you, king of the nations? This is your due. Among all the wise leaders of the nations and all their kingdoms, there's no one like you. Can I get an Amen. They are all, that's what I'm talking about. They are all senseless and foolish. They are taught by worthless wooden idols. In other words, what you're making up in your own mind is worth nothing. Hammered silver is bought from Tarshish and gold from uh, Euphaz. I think that's how you said it. I looked it up. I can't remember now. What the craftsmen and gold, goldsmith have made is then dressed in blue and purple and all made by skilled workers. In other words, you're, you're, just, you're just putting lipstick on a pig. It says, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living, eternal king. Amen? Amen? When he is angry and the earth trembles, the nations cannot endure his wrath. Tell them this, he says, these gods who did not make the heavens and the earth will perish from the earth and from under the heavens. But God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. Listen, when he thunders, the waters in the heavens roar. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouse.
houses. Everyone is senseless and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is shamed by his idols. The images he makes are a fraud. They have no breath in them. They are worthless, the objects of mockery. When their judgment comes, they will perish. Listen, he who is the portion of Jacob is not like these, for he is the maker of all things, including Israel, the people of his inheritance, and the Lord Almighty is his name. Amen? Where was my Baptist? I lost my Baptist up there. I had it. Somebody was amen. But man, that is so good. God and Jeremiah like, don't waste your time on the junk. Worship the living God. Worship the God who makes it thunder. You ever in your house and it just thunders and you're like, oh my goodness. Like, it, I'm talking about when it pops, like you're like, there is a God. That's what he's talking about. The one who makes it rain. The one who breathes life into you and gives you hope in a future. Man, that's so good we got to get rid of our idols. Like, you know, we read this text and we're like, man, I've never made a golden calf. I've never taken my earrings or my my necklace or my watch off and burned it and made a golden calf, so I'm good. No, 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 no. We still have idols today. We still have things we put in place of God that we say are better than God, more important than God, and we worship those things. Because I tell you, if you want to know if you're worshiping, I tell you this, if it's where you find your joy and your hope when you're in sorrow, it's your God. If it's what you turn to in your time of distress and you go, gosh, I just need to have that. It might be a relationship. It might be a substance. It might be a a, a person, whatever. But if it becomes in front of God, it is an idol to us. And, And we should turn from our idols and we need to get a God fix. Like we need to get our fixes from God. We need to seek him and seek who... Who, who he is. I mean, we, we need to toss it in the trash. We need to burn it. We need to break up with it. We need to pour it down the sink, part ways with it, be done with it, make it over, end it, and daggum, send it. We just need to be done with it. Get rid of the idol in your life and worship God, the true living God, the only one that can suffice. Man. Well, I'll go here then, if y'all aren't hearing me. Amazon addicts. Now, I'm just going to say something about Amazon. I'm just going to say, um, I know shopping feels good, and it makes me feel better to have a new shirt and stuff. But, like, listen, like, sometimes, this is kind of, sometimes, like, you know, shopping can become, like, an idol. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, y'all got real quiet on that one. <laughs> like, if you have more packages show up on your porch, like, if you got a pile of packages when you get home, and they're higher than your kids, you might have a little bit of a problem. Like, and you go, gosh, man, there's another package. I don't really know what that is. You can't even remember what you ordered. I'm just saying your hope can be in different things. Boy, I stepped on some toes. That got awkward, man. Everybody's like, oh my gosh, you're talking to my wife. No, I didn't know. I didn't know anything about it. I promise. Uh, But I'm just saying like it can manifest itself in different ways. It can be a pill. It can be a bottle. It can be a person. It can be a relationship. It can be a shopping habit. It can be, you know, whatever it is. It can be looking at things you should look at on the internet. I mean, we could go down a rabbit trail of stuff. Listen to verse 20. It says, The harvest is past, the summer has ended, and we are not saved. Now, what Jeremiah is saying, obviously they were in an agricultural society, and once the summer is gone, there's supposed to be a harvest. If you're ever farmed, you harvest a lot of stuff in the summer. And he's going, man, summer's over, we have no harvest. In other words, we don't have a spiritual harvest, and we no longer have a physical harvest, which means that we're going to starve spiritually, and we're going to starve physically. And God had given them every single opportunity, and yet they had failed. And verse 21 is pretty heavy. It says, since my people are crushed, I am crushed. 
I mourn and horror grips me. Now I want you to look at this verse for a second with me. Um, let's put that verse, verse 21, back up there. And I want you to look at this. And I want you, who, who is saying this? Is this Jeremiah or is this God? He's like, since my people are crushed, I'm crushed. I mourn and horror grips me. I think it's both. And I think God's heart and Jeremiah's heart are broken. And I want to talk to you and spend just, spend just a minute here and talk to you real quick about God's heart. And then I want to talk to you about a prophet or a pastor's heart when the church is suffering. So God's heart breaks when we sin. Correct? Correct? I mean, yeah. I mean, it, we break his heart when we sin. Like, he's a loving God. He's not this being in the sky that doesn't know what's going on in your life or doesn't care. So when we sin, we, we hurt God's heart. He's our Father. And so when we sin, sometimes I think we get inwardly focused and go, oh gosh, I shouldn't be doing this. This is about me. No, it's really about your Father's heart. And your Father loves you and cares for you. And so when we do things we shouldn't do, our Father's heart breaks for us, just like a good father who has children would break their heart if their children were disobedient. So he wants us to love him and serve him, and he desires a relationship with him, and his heart can feel broken. And I think God weeps for us. I think God weeps for the sin of his people. I think just like Jesus stood over Jerusalem, if you remember the story, he stands over Jerusalem and he just begins to cry. And like we all remember that verse, like Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in, in, in the Bible. Like Jesus cried, but Jesus was God, and so we know that God cries. You have to think for a minute about God, the maker of, creator of the universe. He cries for us. And just like Jeremiah was weeping. And, um, and then there's like the heart of a, of a prophet, like Jeremiah's heart. And I can understand this as a pastor, is that when, when the people are crushed, you feel crushed as a, as a pastor sometimes. If I was 100% vulnerable with you, like sometimes after we have funerals here, um, like I'll just go and cry. Like people are like, golly, you sure are strong. I'm like, no, I'm not strong, man. Like I'm just a person. Like I, I'll go home sometimes just like if somebody I'm close to, I, I really struggle. Or if the church is going through a hard time, like our church has been going through a difficult time, I mean, that's hard. And don't underestimate how that weighs on a pastor or a pastor's family, all the pastors here. Because we have hearts, and we have hearts for the church. And when God gives you a heart for the church and a heart for the people, it, uh, it, it can weigh heavy on you. Jeremiah was carrying all that, that weight of, of going, gosh, my, my people are hurting. My people are suffering. And... Um, and, and so his heart's broken, and God's heart is broken. Jeremiah 3, 14 through 15 says this. It says, Return, faithless people, declares the Lord, for I'm your husband. Remember the, the analogy of adultery? It says, Return, faithless people, declares the Lord, I'm your husband. I will choose you, one from a town and two from a clan, and bring you to Zion. And then I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. And look at that. I'll give you shepherds after my own heart. God gives the church. God gave Israel. People have a heart for them. And, and so um, it, it, it's, it's hurtful when the church goes through hard times. Our church has been going through a, a difficult time in, in a number of ways. And I've heard so many people, not just pastors, but people who go, gosh, man, the church is hurting and I'm hurting. Like, because you come here and you want this to be a safe haven for you and a place of worship. And, uh, 
Anyway, I, I think we'll get through this season, but I'm just saying if you feel like you have a heavy heart, it's because if you have the heart, a heart of God, you care about the things God cares about. And when your people are hurting and when the church is hurting, you hurt. That's what it means to have a heart for God. Are you all with me? Yeah, it's like it, it, what hurts God pained, pains you. It should. Sin should pain you. Verse 22, it says, Is there no balm in Gilead? Now, I didn't know what balm was. I mean, I've heard of it, but apparently we don't know exactly what it was, but it, was, it kind of was like it came from a tree, but it was kind of like aloe. Like if you get sunburnt and you put aloe on you, but, but it said, is there no physician there? Why then is there no healing for the wound of my people? Jeremiah is saying, you guys are hurting, and, and I don't know where you're going to find healing. Like, I, I don't know what to do for you. You have to repent. Like, you, you have to have obedience. You have to turn from your ways. You're not going to get better without God. That's what Jeremiah is saying. It's like, if you're hurt and you don't have a doctor, you don't have medicine, you don't have a hospital, he's like, I don't know what to do for you because the, the, the hospital is right here. The hospital is the altar. I mean, God just goes, just come to me. I'm the great physician. And we try to find healing in so many other places. I don't know if anybody's with me. You try everything else. You're like, well, that didn't work and that didn't work and this didn't work and that didn't work. Maybe I'll try God. But God goes, just come to me. Cry to me. Cry out to me. Just get on your knees and weep. And Jeremiah's going, man, I just want you all to come. He's like, just come and repent. Just come and bow down. Like every week, I'm like, please, people, let's just come to the altar and just kneel and just praise him and just cry out to him. Let's just see what he does. Let's just test him. Let's just come before him, just get on our knees and go, God, we want you to bless us abundantly. We want you to grow and multiply and do magnificent things. And we want to see miracles done in your name. And we want to see people healed. We want to see the gospel preached. And we want to see the world changed at this church. And we're going to cry on our knees until that happens. If we would do that, God would bless us. I mean, he just wants us to cry out to him. He hasn't changed. He's the same God that he's always been. And Jeremiah is going, man, if you won't come to the father and the physician, man, you can't find healing. That's like hiking in the woods. I've been hiking like deep in the woods before, like on the Appalachian Trail in a place where you can't get help. And you're thinking, man, if I break an ankle right here, I'm in trouble. And Jeremiah is going, you guys are in trouble. Y'all are in the wilderness. And the only way to find your way out is, is, is the GPS of God. They'd find healing if they would find refuge in God, but they have to turn. Now, chapter 9, verse 1 says, Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears. I would weep day and night for the slain of my people. I mean, he's depressed. But this is where he gets the name, the weeping prophet. He's just so tired. He's been preaching the same thing. He's wept for the people. And he's just, he's exhausted. Um, my uh, John Deere riding lawnmower and I have a special relationship. Um. I have more moments with God, I don't know where yours is, on my John Deere riding more than anywhere else. Like, I'll put my headphones on, and sometimes I'll be out there, I always listen to worship music, that's typically what I do when I'm mowing grass, and I, it takes me about an hour and a half. And uh, sometimes I'll find myself just worshiping Him, like nobody's out there with me, watching me, and I'll find myself, I'll just start crying. Like, it doesn't sound very manly, but like I'll just weep sometimes out of joy for the church and what God is doing, but sometimes out of sadness. Like your heart would just break and you just need to cry before him. Now, I don't know what y'all's 
John Deere riding mower is, but um, I think this is kind of where Jeremiah, he's just in a place where he's like, I, I, just, I just need to cry for, for, for the people. Jeremiah 9.2, here's how it, he ends it. He says, oh, that I had in the desert a lodging place for travelers so that I might leave my people and go away from them, for they are all adulterers, a crowd of unfaithful people. Ouch. He's like, they've cheated on me. They've put something else before me. My heart is broken, and I'm in pain. Okay, so now that everybody's utterly depressed, um, how do we end this? I hope that through the book of Jeremiah you can see God's heart because the truth is the reason that God cries and the reason that God weeps and the reason that Jeremiah weeps is because he cares. Um, and he cares about you and he loves you. But here's the thing, because he loves you doesn't make sin okay. That's what you need to hear. God is a God of love. God is a God of grace. You can never read Jeremiah without telling the story of Jesus. You see, we have all this about Jeremiah and all this doom and gloom and judgment, but then we're on this side of the new covenant. We have Jesus. And Jesus was a man who loved everybody. He loved you regardless of where you were. You realize that Jesus loved Judas? Remember, Judas was the one that turned his back on Jesus and betrayed him. You realize that Jesus loved Judas. And so our God is a God who loves everybody. and He cares for you, but he doesn't like sin. He detests it. And so we just need to get right with God and take our idols down and just set them at the foot of the altar. I don't think Jesus made you feel ostracized if you were around him. I mean, I don't, I don't think he belittled people and was like, oh, man, look at your sin. How dare you? But I do think if you were to have dinner with Jesus, I think you would feel convicted. And you would be like, oh, wow, I'm in the presence of a holy God. And so that's what I offer to you today is as you come into the presence of a holy God, whatever the idol is in your life or struggle that you have, maybe you don't feel like you have one. Maybe you just come and just pray today, but I want to invite you forward to, to pray. I'm going to invite the band up, and we'll just go into a time of prayer. And I'm going to invite you to bring your, your burden to him today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. Um, thank you for the words of Jeremiah. This is a hard pill to swallow, but Lord, we know that um, Jeremiah was a person of hope, and he believed uh, in the redemption of the people of Israel. If not, he wouldn't have preached all those years, Lord. We thank you for that he was faithful to his call. Lord, we know that we all bring sin to the table. We know that you ate with sinners, O oh Lord, and that you can handle our sin. We know that you love all people and that you have grace and mercy, and it's the reason that you died, Lord. But what you ask of us is for us to lay down our sin at the foot of the cross and to repent and to be obedient to you, Lord. So whatever is between us and you, whatever has become more important to us than you, I pray, Father, we just rebuke that in the name of Jesus, and we turn from it, we cast it out. Oh, thank you for the good, sweet news of the gospel of Christ. Thank you that he came and lived amongst us and died and was resurrected, Lord. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that lives within us. Um, God, if anybody today just feels broken in their seat, man, just break down that hardness and that wall. And um, maybe just let them weep and cry a little bit at your feet, Lord. We love you, God. Uh, this is our invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.